G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. We're going to be exploring the growth of the Christian church in China, where there are predictions that China will be the world's most populous Christian nation on the face of the earth within two decades. Well, what are they doing in China? What's happening right now in China? Our guest this hour is Justin Tan. Dr. Justin Tan leads the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. And I can tell you that he's been quoted as saying, the landscape of Chinese Christianity is changing so fast that whatever is said about it will have to keep pace with the latest developments. Well, we'll open our talkback lines this hour. You might like to contribute to our conversation. You might have been to China. Your church may support mission activity in China. You might have been part of those teams that years ago used to smuggle Bibles into China. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Let's welcome our guest for this hour, Dr. Justin Tan. Hello, Justin. Welcome along to 2020. Hello to you, Neil. Hello to all the readers, uh, the listeners uh, that we are contacting today. Yeah. Well, Justin, just a privilege to be talking to you once again. And we had a conversation some time back about China, and no doubt there's lots of changes and new issues to talk about. But let's start off with something fairly light and, uh, and you know, just uh, breaking the ice a little here. Okay. I mean, for a lot of listeners, now, not everybody has uh, the great interest in China and uh, right. the evangelical Christianity and uh, the growth of the Chinese church, but all of us have some sort of connection to Chinese food. Uh, <laughs> tell me, do you have a favorite Chinese dish that, uh, you know, when you're having guests around, you're having the dinner party and, right. uh, and you're, uh, you're on responsibility for cooking that night. Uh, what do you cook for your guests? Oh, I I cook simple meals, but I like to have uh, picking up, for example, and that that I can't cook. And uh, I have dumplings, and dumplings is always our favorite at home. And um, I think if you go to any Chinese restaurant nowadays, uh, it will not be what we call fried rice and noodles and everything. I mean, nowadays, if you if you go around Australia in a Chinese restaurant. Dumplings are the things that we, we talk about. I mean, very popular, and that's my favorite, yes. All right, dumplings. And yes. listeners might like to share their own uh, favorite Chinese food with us today, too, if we uh, take yes. some calls through the hour. 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join into our conversation this hour. Dr. Justin Tan is our guest. Justin, I gave a quote that you made some time ago about the landscape of Chinese Christianity changing so fast. Uh, things are happening even as we speak. It's so hard to keep up with it all. Uh, just mm. how significant is the change that's happening in China with the advent of the rise of Christianity? 
I think it's significantly changed in the sense of people are beginning to see that, you know, it's no longer a Western religion. It's something that is already ingrained into the Chinese culture. If you go anywhere else, if you ask if you're a Christian as a Chinese, there is nobody who is going to say to you that, you know, oh, you embrace a foreign religion or anything like that. Uh, it becomes something that is already very popular. Now, people accept it very readily there. So that is where I feel that, you know, the landscape has changed so much, say, for example, for 80 years ago, 50 years ago, or 30 years ago even. Um, you know, everywhere you go, you see churches, you see people holding up a Bible, people praying before they eat and giving thanks for their food and that sort of thing. Uh, it is something that, you know, you can see almost every day in, as you go into China. Even though the communist government uh, really outlaws the idea of proselytizing and uh, and is concerned about the rise of Christianity, uh, what you're saying is wherever you move around China, you'll see people openly praying, uh, openly standing in the street. Is it really so overt like that, that uh, you're seeing Christians uh, standing out, uh, not afraid at all to be talking about their faith? Yeah, I would say that that is uh, the generally the case anyway. So, I mean, obviously, if, uh, there is always cases like this in China when um, when there is some crisis or something that is happening in, in China, violence in some places, then there is a clampdown in religious activities. And people tend to know that. And once they know that, I mean, they'll be more alert and they don't do some overt, you know, religious activities that will, you know, endanger their, their lives or their, their practices and the activities that they have. I mean, people understand that, um, you know, in the situations where you're not free to be able to do whatever you want, so you understand, you know, you choose the way to do it. But normally, if, it's, if there's nothing um, that's specific or and there's no crisis around, um, there's no clam down, for example, and there's no strong words from in the in the papers to say about this. People are generally very happy to do whatever they want um, in the streets. Even you know, say for example, I've been teaching in universities. You see students, you know, going to in, into canteens and staying, you know, coming together in groups and pray together. I mean, that sort of thing is is quite natural nowadays. Mm. Let me ask you, Justin, about the the numbers, and I suspect you're going to say no one knows the real numbers, <laughs> but let me run past you some of the numbers yeah. that people talk about and sure. uh, yeah. and some of the statistics that people have taken uh, now a number of years old, but, mm-hmm. uh, but the idea that there might be as many as 100 million uh, Christians in China. Now, is that an over-exaggeration? Is that maybe where the ballpark figure might lie. Uh, what do you say to people when uh, when they ask you about how many ch- uh, Christians are there in China? It's so difficult because there's, a, there's an official figure and there's always the estimated figure. Um, the o- official figure will probably put it at about three three. 300 million or something, something like that, very, very high in, 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 the, um, um, in the statistics-wise, but it would be more than that, to double that of the official figures. And uh, from what we can and uh, uh, really estimate, it will be about, you know, with a population that big, they say it's going to be about 2 to 3% 
um, of the population who are Christians already, I mean overtly Christian, I mean when they register themselves going to church and it's I think three to five, I would say, percent. Well, and th- those numbers are really oh, staggering, yeah. staggering numbers. And yeah. I know you like to reflect on the way that the church has grown so substantially in yeah. the rural areas, uh, because exactly, this yeah. is this is where the real revival in China started, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. in the rural areas. Yes, um, the revival actually started um, possibly about forty um, forty years ago. And it all started in the rural area, and uh, but now it's increasingly going into the um, into the urban areas as well. We have a church, um, well, an area in Zhejiang, and it's called Wenzhou. Wenzhou is is uh, it has a population of about nine nine million. Uh, they say yeah, um, nine hundred million. Sorry, nine hundred million. Um, is that right? Or can, uh, um, well, uh, no, no, it's nine million. Nine million, nine in, million. The, in the city itself, right? Nine million in that little, uh, that, that city itself. And out of the nine million, that's 1.5 million who are Christians. And it's a very big number there. So which works out to be about 15 to 20% of the population. As you area as you reflect on that revival, and you you're going back forty years, there have yeah. been uh, people you've described in the past as giants of faith, uh, people yeah. who've been the leaders in those rural areas, and uh, you've even referred to them as uncles and aunties uh, right. to to the faith. Those sorts of people have made a huge impact, haven't they? And they've they've endured such hardship. Yes, yes, and 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 precisely because of the hardship that they have endured and being able to come through it, and uh, and still remain faithful, and that is something you know uh, speaks to people, inspire people to think about you know what is that? What is it that about Christianity uh, that will endear these people into uh, situations where they can you know they can endure any sort of suffering and yet remain very faithful. And because of that, and you see also um, miracles happening around the area when people are sick and couldn't find any doctors, they pray through this, uh, uh, their sicknesses, and um, these aunties and uncles are helping them, not because of the miracles that's happening, but because they are, they are faithful to, to their faith and uh, presenting in such a way that, you know, they are the concern for these people and people you know begin to to see miracles happening in around the area and um and that's where the uh, the uh, what we call the revival suddenly sort of took off that's an interesting topic that we might be able to enlarge on but just mm. quickly on issues of miracles of uncles and aunties of the faith who are praying for people who are either so poor that they can't go to a doctor or there are no doctors in those communities mm. the the uh, the evidence that comes from those miracles and and how that has given momentum to the rise of of Christian faith in those communities. Can you reflect on miracles for me for a few moments? Yeah, uh, there are some miracles which are, you know, small ones. For example, if you have a sickness or you have fever or something, people pray over you, and that's, that's always normally the case. And uh, fever just get, got away, and people re- realize that, you know, it's not just about... Um, it's not just about taking medicine. It's, it's about really... Um, 
trusting in in something you know higher than they are and um and so the these uncles and aunties begin to say that you know i I don't have that you know the miracle hands it's just the hand of God that's doing all that uh and um so people are beginning to say, well, you know, these people are not heroes in the sense of uh, wanting to actually establish a name for themselves. Um, they are actually witnessing to something higher than they are. And um, so that sort of, you know, brings a lot of what we call religious aspects into it. And people want to, to understand why this sort of thing happens. And they begin to inquire and, and, and then they come to faith very quickly from there. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you. Dr. Justin Tan is our guest. He leads the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. And Justin, just to to double back for a moment, because uh, a little confusing on some of those figures when we're talking about the numbers of Christians that are estimated to be in China. Uh, I think in your uh, Chinese calculation and in your Chinese mindset as you were communicating, I think you meant to say uh, 30 million and 70 million rather than the 300 million. Is yeah, that, the, that right. the case? Yeah. The official figure will, will be about 30 million, and, uh, but the unofficial one, which is you know, the estimated figure, will be about 70 million. Um, and that is all, sort of an unspoken type of consensus saying that it might be 70 million rather than 30 million. Okay. Well, the, even any of those numbers are mind-boggling. And when we put Australian numbers of our population and of Australian Christianity alongside, uh, we look minuscule compared to the numbers, the sheer numbers of Christian believers uh, there in China. And it would not be beyond... Uh, the sort of imagination running wild to be able to speculate, Justin, that uh, that in the hour that we're spending now talking about China, uh, that the numbers of Christian believers will increase at an incredible rate, even in the hour we're talking. That's right, yes. And um, I mean, it's increasing every day, every minute even, um, with a vast population of China. And, you know, um, you know, obviously we need to look at statistics and also comparison about in the population and that sort of thing, but it, no, it is staggering. Yeah. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Graham in Deniliquin in New South Wales. Hello, Graham. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Graham, what are your uh, yeah. thoughts on China? I have a story for you. Um, uh, I've already rung up once before about um, my experience with Manila, um, one of the churches that I went over there to visit, um, the pastor from that church has just um, been in China for uh, a couple of weeks. Um, he was praying. Well, he was um, he was with the church, uh, one of these outreach churches. Um, he had to basically teach from 7 a.m. in the morning till 12 midnight uh, every day for three days so it would have been a hard work for him Um, but after the third day he was told to pray for this lady so uh, he started praying for this lady and um, he got on a plane flight to go see this lady she had uh, lupin cancer um, 
and they never told her that, or told him that uh, she was dead for three days or a day, uh, 24 hours. Um, but he continued to pray on the, the flight over. And by the time he got to the hospital, um, 100 people um, that knew that she was dead for 24 hours um, from other religions um, converted to Christianity and asked him to baptise them. Wow. That is just amazing. And uh, to hear those sorts of stories uh, is an inspiration. And, uh, Justin, I assume you hear these sorts of stories from time to time. Your thoughts on what Graham is sharing? I think Graham is, uh, you know, when Graham related that story, I think, you know, to me, I think it's, it's... it's not uncommon, but I, I need to actually be very cautious about this. When I say it be, it's not uncommon to have this sort of thing happening, um, because there are, the, there are reports of this, you know, now and again that comes out from the especially rural area um, about the situations that's happening there. And uh, no, yes, yes, you can see God's hand doing, you know, miraculous things that's happening there. You know. If you look, if you if you listen more and more, you, you, you know it's it's like you know the New Testament all over again. Yes, and those sorts of significant things. Uh, what an yeah. inspiration that is, Graham from Daniloquin. Thanks so much for your input today here on Twenty Twenty. Great to hear from you. And and another thing that Graham was saying, uh, Justin, the idea of being the invited uh, Christian preacher teacher. Uh, into one of these house church situations and being called on to teach uh, all day from early in the morning until late into the night. Uh, this sort of hunger for God's word and the sheer numbers of people that are a part of these house churches demands, uh, puts a lot of demands on, on teachers and preachers. Yeah, we almost half expected that sort of thing to happen. I have the same experience. I was you know, in some rural areas teaching and, uh, you know, that they, they wouldn't let you stop because, you know, they say, well, you know, you come so far, such a long way. We want to hear as much as we can, I mean, which, which means I did, they just wring your dry in one sense. <laughs> yes. But uh, but uh, we are happy to do that, you know. I, I have problems with my, sometimes with my voice uh, uh, and I... But I, I just struggle through. But, you know, it's, just, it's, it's a happy struggle, if you want to put it that way. Yes. <laughs> to go through it. Well, I, really, I mean, that's true. I, I have to teach sometimes from 7 to about nine ten o'clock in, at night. Um, yeah. 7 a.m. in the morning till, yes. till 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Yes, right. And let me just get some more context here, because when we talk about house churches in China, uh, our Australian experience is uh, we have half a dozen people around and sit around our living room, but a house church in China is somewhat different. How do you describe yeah. house churches? Um, nowadays... If you have about fifty, it's a small one. Um, if you have, you know, you, you can it can go up to about hundred to three hundred in in any one a little church, what we call little church there. Now I I'll relate this little bit of an experience I had. I went to this church um, that is sort of um, they they really do that in 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 their homes. Um, with the home, they especially have the walls which is partitioned out um, to become rooms. But these partitions can be taken off or dismantled very quickly in about five minutes. 
and they took took all the partitions away, and it's a big hole sort of in the house like that, and they can accommodate about sixty to hundred people in just one little you know one house, and that's how they do it. And so I when I go there, um, when I went to, to this this especially this house church. I almost talked to a person which is about two feet away from my face, sort of thing. But because they all crowded over me, um, so they can only listen to me, but they can't see me. <laughs> wow, that is just amazing! And uh, the idea of movable partition walls in your house uh, yes. to to be able to and you'd move everything out and just That's to right, accommodate yeah. the sheer numbers of people uh, to come in and crowd around the preacher crowd yeah. around the teacher. Uh, that is a, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to hear that, and it's an inspiration. Look, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. You might have something to contribute to our conversation today. Dr. Justin Tan is our guest. He leads the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. Let's take another call from Peter in Adelaide. Hello, Peter. Welcome along to 2020. Yes, good morning. Uh, oh, sorry, good afternoon. And... Uh Peter, great to hear from you. What are your thoughts on, on China? Um, yes, um, uh, maybe Dr. Tan can respond to this one. Um, hmm. Went to China a couple of years ago, first time ever, and stayed at the China Marriott Hotel. And Marriott sort of was... Uh, I, had, I hadn't had a Bible for about two weeks. And Marriott's sort of famous for um, having a, a Gideon's Bible, I believe, in, in a drawer. So I opened mm-hmm. the drawer pulled, <coughs> and pulled out a... A Quran. Oh, That's really? all that was in there, and it told me which way to face Mecca. And I was so disappointed. And um, I got a feeling I had a strong impression in China that everybody, or mostly, they sort of um, eat, eat, work, sleep, eat, work, sleep. Okay. Well, let's let's hear from Justin. Uh, Justin, your thoughts on the uh, on the the Bibles and on the Quran in one of the major hotels there. Uh, what what are your uh, reactions or what are your immediate thoughts to Peter? Uh, it, it is a surprising thing to to, uh, to hear about this. I haven't actually been to Marius, so I'm not too sure about that. But uh, the the thing is, um, in China, they are they are they wanted to actually be seen as as an open society, um, and um, to be able to put a Gideon's Bible um, in a hotel will mean that they will have to open it up to another religion or religions um, that wanted to do the same thing. And um, there are a few very strong organizations from the Islamic side of things. Um, they are tr- trying to push this idea across and say, well, you know, whatever the Christians do, we can, sort of thing. Um, so um, so I, I, I can say there's a surprise, and that's, that's not a surprise to me as well. Um, they are trying to be open as a, as a country, and so uh, if we have a Bible, there's nothing to say that you can't have the Koran in there as well. Uh, Peter from Adelaide, you also, also uh, mentioned the work habits of Chinese people. Uh, did you have a comment to make on, uh, on eat, sleep, and work? Uh, so far as uh, the Chinese uh, work ethic goes, Justin, I think because uh, the wages are so low, you 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 barely have time, barely have enough 
time to be able to actually relax. But they have time when um, they have, uh, I think, a few more uh, holidays and longer holidays than we do. So what they don't do it you know, as a four-week holiday or something like that, but they'll have some festivals and a, a time when people take off uh, from their work and go somewhere else sightseeing. Um, Labor Day is uh, uh, one, uh, one of the, the festivals, uh, one of the holidays that they do. The other one is will be the Chinese New Year. So um, people tend to work hard um, uh, all um, the rest of the year, but they were just looking forward to all these little you know, snippets of uh, time um, that they can just relax. Yeah, they, they work hard because they, it's, it's the, the wages are so low, you can't afford to have, not to work. It's Neil with you, 2020, 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Dr Justin Tan, our guest. Justin leads the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. Justin, we've been talking about mind-boggling numbers, as many as potentially 70 million Christian believers in the nation of China. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, the number's growing so strong, the Chinese Communist Party sees in some respects uh, Christianity as a serious threat uh, to be suppressed. Now, there's been a lot of freedom there for the church to continue to expand, uh, but there are yeah. some signs, aren't there, in some communities, and I'd like you to reflect on, on some of the difficulties being faced by churches in China at this time. Yes, um, there is a strange thing that's going on um, in the last three months or so, uh, or nearly six months, three to six months. Um, this is happening in uh, in the province of Zhejiang, and in Zhejiang is um, is sort of a, a very wealthy area of uh, of China, where the manufacturing industry and also farming and that sort of thing are are, are great there, and. Um, it's a, a wealthy province, but um, there also in that province uh, a growth of real growth in Christianity um, as well. And what happens in this place is that suddenly the local government decided that there are too many crosses uh, in the in the horizon um, out of the, it's like steeples uh, in 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 Europe where you see where as you go into um, one of these provinces, you see that from the sky, you can see all these crosses around. It's like, you know, um, when you go into Europe, you see a lot of these tipples coming uh, from, from different churches. So when you say crosses, you're talking about actually quite big crosses. Big crosses. And uh, if, you, if you enter, say, if you c- come from the sky and just on landing into, in, into, the, uh, into uh, Wenzhou, this is the, um, the city. Um, the area that I'm talking about, you see from the sky, you see all crosses, like, you know, floating in the air, sort of thing. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds of those, because there are hundreds and hundreds of churches around. <laughs> and um, and um, the, the local government decided that this is not a done thing, and uh, so they decided that the churches should dismantle all the crosses. And uh, it will, from the estimates, it will probably cost six million uh, renminbi, which is about 150,000 US, to be able to just dismantle all of the crosses, and uh, it, be, it it creates an uproar in in 
in the Chinese in the Christian community there. Uh, is that uh, is it primarily in the Chijiang province yes. that that's happening, or that's is it is that wider it, spread around the around the nation? From what we heard, it might just spread to another province or another province again. So, but yeah, the whole thing it, it has brought global concern into this situation. Uh, it has never been done like that before, and some of the churches just cried out and said, "Well, this is not the done thing. Uh, why is it?" You know, uh, such a um, uh, such a thing happened in our places like this. Mm. Well, I mentioned that the Communist Party, uh, in some respect, sees Christianity as a threat to be suppressed. Uh, there was one figure I heard that there may actually be more Christians now in China than actual members of the Communist Party. Uh, that's had. What is your uh, your your thoughts on that idea? Well, to, to me, I think it, it, we uh, it, it's it's difficult to, to actually because nobody knows the the, the true numbers of um, uh, uh, of Christians in uh, in, in China. Um, obviously, we have some figures for the uh, the, Communi- uh, the members of the Communist Party, um, but I think the, Chi- the the Christians are in a sense not political. They they don't look at themselves as if they are a force. To be to be reckoned with, they're talking to themselves and say, "Well, this is some somehow a, a more private religion." There is a talk about um, separation between church and state situation that's happening in in China. Most, if not all, the Christians in China will not want to be labeled um, political in that sense, and so um, they are happy, you know, doing whatever they can to help this society and to, to, to bring harmony in society, but they will not like to be labelled as if they are a political force. That's right. one 316 316 if you'd like to join in our conversation, let's take a call from Michael in Ararat in Victoria. Hello, Michael. Welcome along to Good 2020. Day. How are you? Very well. What are your thoughts on China? Well, my thoughts is why the cross and what has that got to do with Christianity? Sorry, the cross? Yes. Well, it was the cross that Jesus was crucified on, and it's become a symbol no, no, no. of Christianity. What I'm saying there, why the cross, and what has the government got to do with the crosses with Christianity? Uh, Justin, the, the, the cross, obviously, if you're talking about the proliferation, the numbers of those crosses, that's obviously been the, the concern. But your, your thoughts on, uh, on what Michael is asking? Yes. Um, the the the, the Christians in China would like to actually be more visible, and uh, when they build their churches, they will want to put a big cross uh, on top of their building, obviously, to be able to identify themselves as if, you know, we know this is our faith, and we want to actually upraise, I mean, up, uphold the, uh, our, our, our faith by just uh, the symbol of the cross on our, our building. And um, because of that, um, it is not something... You know, superstitious. It's not something that is ornamental. It's it's a witness in itself and saying that you know this place is sacred ground for us, and because this is where we worship our, our God. And um, the local government decided that uh, that is too much uh, in a in a, a society like China to have all these crosses there. That is sort of a, a, a direct affront to what they believe in in communism. And so that is where 
things happen, begin to happen ugly. In, it, it turns ugly very quickly. Um, the local government begin to actually dismantle all the, the courses, or trying to dismantle all the, the courses from the church buildings. Uh, and that's why it creates an uproar and say, well, you know, you can't do this sort of thing. Um, and there's no... Uh, there's no rule or law to say that we can't put a cross on top of a building. Michael from Ararat in Victoria, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join into our conversation. Justin, let me ask you about the reaction of those Christian believers in Qijiang uh, province there. Uh, When they've had to dismantle their crosses, did that have any effect on or this might still be an unfolding story, but has it, in in your, uh, as you've been gleaning information, has it had any effect on the believers there? Has it made them even more, uh, more passionate about their own faith, or is it? Does it actually put a dampener on things? I think uh, it goes two ways. Um, this dismantling is not done by the churches itself, by the way. It's, it's done by the local authorities um, that you know deem it ugly and deem it you know uh, as an affront to to the ruling um, authorities. Um, there are two ways of looking at it. Um, there are two different reactions towards this so, um, this sort of disturbance. One is to unite. I mean, it, it begins to unite the, uh, all these uh, these churches. At first, these churches are sort of, you know, they, they grow on their own because they are all, all house churches. There's no, you know, organizational uh, authority that goes around the whole area. So each individual have their own house church, and you know, they've raised up the crosses on the buildings. So, but because of this, this uh, disturbance of dismantling the crosses, it brings, it actually brought these uh, this churches together in unity uh, to fight the, what we call the common uh, uh, enemy in that one sense. Uh, but there are also talks about people who say that do not resist um, uh, uh, the what what the authority says, and we will take it as you know as we uh, as much as we can, and you know don't disturb the the status quo in one sense. So there are two different you know reaction towards this, and um, uh, and but it, it, in effect it actually unites the the um, the this, um, the believers. So it may actually have a positive impact. Yes, yes. Uh, let me, uh, out of what you've been sharing, it, it, uh, it, the question arises about the relationship between the state churches and the house churches. Uh, has there been any animosity between the two? And as I understand it, there's there's almost a mingling between those churches now. Uh, the state churches become more like the house churches and vice versa. Yes, yeah, you can. It's it's, it's almost you know, ironical to, to uh, in in this case um, the, of the dismantling of the crosses. Now, not uh, it's it's not just if that the the house church crosses are being taken off. It's also the three self churches are being taken off as well. So they have the same sort of fate in a sense of of um, dismantling of the crosses. So this, in fact, brought the two. Um, disparate uh, organizations into one. Uh, uh, the three self churches suffers the same way as the, the family uh, of the, uh, uh, the house churches. So they begin to actually come in the, becoming one voice in one in in a lot of ways and say, well, you know, we're all Christians, and um, 
and they believe that they should, you know, com- in, they should combine the effort uh, in in tackling the situations right now in in Zhejiang. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you'd like to join our conversation, let's hear from Wayne in Marsden in Queensland. Hello, Wayne. Welcome along to twenty twenty. Thanks, Neil. So, Wayne, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I uh, attended a men's dinner a while back in Rochdale. I was invited there, and uh, we had a fellow who was a Bible teacher in Israel did the men's breakfast. And um, about eight years after that, I was invited back to that church again for another men's breakfast, and the same fellow was speaking. So I found it quite interesting. But he'd just been to China. And uh, he had some good things, uh, information about it. Um, he was, uh, you know, he went through a lot of the underground churches throughout China, and he also attended the Three, uh, Three Self, which is the government um, churches. And he was invited to speak there at one meeting, and he said that the pastor encouraged him to speak, but he hadn't had a permit arranged, so he informed the pastor that he wouldn't be able to speak because that that uh, the permits hadn't been sorted out. But the pastor really wanted him to speak, and he said, if the police come, he said, uh, he said they'll, they'll arrest me, and he said, I'll go to jail for a few days. He said, but that's okay. We want to we wanna hear what you've got to teach. So he spoke for about seven hours, and he said the um, the police came in, and stood at the back of the church because it was a three self movement church. And uh, sure enough, when he finished, he said they came down the front, the rest of the pastor, and took him away for a, for a few days. But um, yeah, a couple of statements he made I thought were really interesting. He said China's not communist. He said it's totalitarianism. I thought that's an interesting statement because uh, they totally control, but they're not totally communist neither in the way that they deal with the people. Perhaps they've moved away from what we might understand as a classical definition of communism, but uh, Justin Tan, uh, uh, your thoughts on on uh, communism and, and China and totalitarianism, but, all, but also on, on some of those things that, uh, that Wayne from Marsden was sharing? Um. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a difficult, difficult way to actually define uh, communism nowadays because of the situation in China. You know, it's the it's it's a, in a lot of ways it's, it, it becomes more capitalist than, than communist, and um, yeah, uh, there is obviously control, and that we know that for for, for a fact, and um, and the government, you know, it's it's not going to run away from this uh, this accusation of being controlling. Um, but I think there is an openness as well there. Um, if you compare it to you know, 50 years ago, it's a vast different um, horizon atmosphere nowadays. So it's not going to be easy to actually define it at the moment. It's, it's actually in a state of flux at the moment, and we're not really knowing exactly what is uh, what the government is heading. So we're just observing and trying to work in as much as possible. Another issue that Wayne was raising there was the idea that pastors are regularly arrested and put into jail for a number of days. Is that something that's fairly typical? 
It is not very typical nowadays. It used to be that way, but these are very much of a local government situation or local authorities uh, in a village or in a small town where the local authorities um, sort of wanting to control situations and they will probably arrest anybody they want almost pretty much. Uh, and if they don't like the, the pastors, they will take them away. But nowadays, they don't. They can't have that sort of thing because of the human rights situation um, that's been addressing in China. Um, but we see people. Um, but for example, if people wanted to actually preach in a three-self church, uh, they'll have to get authorities. That's obvious. And uh, I think what Wayne has been sharing, I think that's the thing that is not a done thing when you are. You haven't given authority to teach uh, to to preach in um, in in an open church. What we call the open church, the um, the three self church. Um, you need to get authority, and um, that is written down as law. So we need to do that. And if he didn't do that, then he's against the law, and uh, he's likable to be arrested. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Yes, good to have you along with us talking about China this hour. And we've been talking about the staggering growth, the momentum that is there in China and the likelihood that Chinese Christianity will be the biggest populace of Christians in the whole world uh, so far as nations go within the next couple of decades. Dr Justin Tan is our guest. We've been talking about the numbers of Chinese Christians, the official numbers around about 30 million, the unofficial numbers as high as 70 million, and of course you might have heard some speculation. There are as many as 100 million Christian believers in China. Uh, What a tremendous conversation we have been having today. Uh, Justin, let me ask you about the... A study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. It's not actually a course that you teach there, but there's research that's going on here in an Australian context. That's right. Uh, what we do with uh, with uh, the study at uh, the centre is that we do about three things um, here. One is to um, to provide information and to provide some statistics for uh, people who wanted to actually do research uh, into Chinese Christianity. And when, by I mean by Chinese Christianity, it will not be just um, Christian, Christians in child Christianity in China. It means um, Chinese churches around the world, uh, especially in our case, um, uh, Chinese Christians in Australia. Um, we, we do a lot more on that and providing um, resources and information and also um, uh, opportunity for people to do research with us. Okay. Let me ask you about the needs in China because, uh, as I can appreciate, as many might well also speculate, uh, that with dramatic growth of the church in China, the maturity of Christian leaders in China probably isn't keeping up with the sheer numbers of people that are coming to Christ. Uh, how, do you, how do you deal with, uh, with upgrading everyone's skills and uh, biblical studies and understanding theology? Uh, what, what happens in China typically? What what will will uh, the uh, the churches do is to to have this what we call the um, a loose organization when they will have about three to four times a year when they invite uh, pastors who are who are, who are not you know well trained to to be able to find some avenues of training so once. 
uh, um, about three to four times every year, they will gather people from all different provinces in, the, in, in China and find a location where they will they provide uh, Bible teachers um, to teach them and to train them. And this is what happens in China. And um, obviously there are some seminaries in, in China, Bible colleges, seminaries in China, that's run by the three self-churches. And also there are some uh, courses that's been done in universities itself. Um, so university provided courses in Christianity, and that includes biblical studies as well. Um, that's, in, that's in China. Okay, mission support that goes to China from Australia. Uh, is it a necessary thing for uh, Christians in Australia to be supportive of of uh, the house church movement, of people who are doing mission work there? Uh, it sounds like, you know, in one sense you could say, well, it's so big and it's growing so fast. Do the Chinese need the help of people in Australia? What is your response? Oh, that's definite. And um, most of the churches will be very poor, put it, put it very simply. Um, they are people who are not well off. Uh, most of them will probably be below the poverty line even, some of them. Um, but they are eager in learning, and the material stuff is not something that they look for. But they obviously need some uh, some funds to be able to actually fund, like what I'm talking about, where people are gathering together in one place, where you need uh, funds to be able to actually invite people from all over China to come over, their traveling expenses, their accommodation, uh, and also the materials that's being given them. And so there is a big you know, uh, need for people to uh, to support this sort of uh, work. Um, okay, and running um, short of time a little, I wanted to ask you about a biblical commentary series by yeah. main, mainland Chinese scholars that you're working on in Melbourne. Yes, yes. I, I am actually the co-editor um, of the whole series of what we call Central uh, biblical commentaries. We are inviting um, biblical scholars of evangelical um, faith to be able to actually put themselves um, into writing one um, book of the Bible uh, and then uh, a commentary on, on one book of the Bible. And I am the Old Testament editor of that. Um, we invited people who have um, training already in the biblical languages, either Hebrew or, or, or Greek, and have a degree, uh, preferably a PhD um, in universities, who, uh, whom we have already a few, um, to invite them to actually write this. And then uh, we, we will be mentoring them through the whole process of writing the commentary. We have now about 11 people who are right now writing um, the, the, the series. In well, the series. it sounds like a major contribution that can come to the maturing of the church as it continues to grow at such an incredible rapid rate. Uh, what a yes. pleasure it is. A great privilege to be talking to you today, Dr. Justin Tan. People might want to contact you. The website for Melbourne School of Theology is mst.edu.au. You'll find a link there where you can contact Dr. Justin Tan. Thanks so yes, much for right. being with us today on 2020. Thank you. 
Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.